Hello and welcome back to the Hockey Obsession Podcast. I'm back after a little over a year and hopefully I can come back more consistently and with some better segments for you guys to enjoy. I hope that this podcast can really appeal to both the hardcore and the new hockey fan who's just uh, getting into the game. So for today, we will be covering Hockey Headlines, which is a segment where we just cover all of the biggest news in the hockey world right now. Then we will follow that up with my midseason NHL awards. And we will finish it off with Hockey Hot Takes, where I will go over some of the hot takes submitted on my NHL Guess Who Instagram account and see if I agree with them, and we'll kind of break them down. This week on Hockey Headlines, we will be going over the Olympics. We'll be talking about both the men's and women's team. At the time that I'm recording this, the men still haven't played any games. I believe they play tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock Eastern. And we will be beginning with the NHL All-Star Weekend. We'll be going over the skills competition and a bit of the game. The games really didn't leave much to be excited about. I think it's definitely a event that's much better when you're actually there. We'll start with the Friday events where they had the skills competition. The night began with Jordan Cairo taking home fastest skater. And it's a very, it's a funny event because there's a wide dif- different differential between how much effort these guys are putting in. Like a guy like Evgeny Kuznetsov didn't want to be there at all. And then most of the guys who actually tried a little bit, they all had right around the same score. So it's kind of the difference between somebody starting the stopwatch a millisecond before or after. Like, Jordan Cairo had 13.5 seconds. I'm pretty sure other guys were, like, 13.6, 13.7. And, but it was a bit of an upset for Cairo to win this event because many people expected somebody like Kale McCarr or obviously Connor McDavid's always a favorite for the fastest skater. But even Dylan Larkin was in the event for the first time in a little bit. And he's the current record holder. And the next event was the safe streak, where it was won by the Atlantic goalies, Jack Campbell and Andre Vasilevsky. And this is, I believe this is the first time that they've ever done it where it's a team of two goalies doing the event together. Usually it's just one, but this included, then included all eight goalies that attended the All-Star game. And there was... Not too much to be amazed at by this event. One interesting thing was that the Pacific Division, they had Trevor Zegras and Jonathan Marchessault, who originally weren't a part of the games. They had them go. And because it was supposed to only be nine skaters took shots in the event, by the end, Connor McDavid didn't end up getting to take a shot because the captain was supposed to shoot last but they didn't take into account that if the team's safe streak ended then McDavid wouldn't get to shoot in the event 
then we will talk about the hardest shot competition. It's another funny one, similar to the fastest skater, where it's just a matter of what ends up happening, where, like, Adam Pellick, his first shot, he had an 89 mile an hour, and his second shot was a little bit over 100 miles an hour, so it's really about whether you can get the shot in the right place where the gun will read it properly, and if you can't, then... You end up with, like, Victor Hedman. He had one that wasn't nearly as good and then won the event with 103.2 mile an hour. Also, I wish that they... Because it is one of the better events at the skills competition, I wish that they didn't have only the four competing in it. I think they could have done without, say, the NHL 21 and 22 event where they had a couple of guys taking shots at big playing cards playing blackjack and uh that was won by joe pavelski but if they just did without that one and then had a few more shooters in the hardest shot i think it would be a lot more entertaining and the breakaway challenge was a controversial one as uh alex pietrangelo won based on the fact that john ham gave him a 19 when the cards were only supposed to go up to 10 and I think the way they brought Trevor Zegers in, even though he didn't make the All-Star game, and I think that he he by far had the best the best shot in the tournament. He had the uh, from the movie Dodgeball, the average Joes, and then was blindfolded and then did some crazy moves with his stick. Well, they they had uh, NHL mascots throwing dodgeballs at him. And then, then he got some nines, mostly tens, but some nines. But really what they had to do was get the fans to vote like they used to do in the breakaway challenge because it was pretty unanimous online that Trevor Zegers' move was one of the best all-star moments in NHL history. And then it goes to a lame shot where Pietrangelo just brought out a bunch of the Vegas um bunch of the Vegas drummers and John Hamm gave him a sympathy vote for 19 points because he used to play for the St. Louis Blues and uh yeah so that event was a disappointing ending to a pretty fun I think it's always the most fun event at all-star skills at the all-star skills competition and they had the fountain face-off which was surprisingly entertaining to watch. I thought that it was going to be a little bit difficult because it was kind of gimmicky, but then they had the... Uh, it was a shooting event where they were on a platform in the fountains of Bellagio in Vegas, and they had to shoot onto little platforms and that were over water. And then the... Uh, the tar- the pucks were already lit up and then the targets would light up when somebody scored on or somebody got them into the targets but the problem was is it's at night in the water so the water's dark and all of the targets didn't light up until after they'd already been hit so if you're watching it you could barely make out whether a guy was even close or until after he made the shot you didn't know how well he was doing 
And then the last event was the accuracy shooting. Actually, I don't... Yeah, I think... I want to say that was the last event. And I think the NHL knocked out of the park with this event because they finally brought back the styrofoam targets that exploded on impact. And they they were trying with the having light up targets that would change so then players had to specifically shoot for a certain target but I think it just never really worked the way that the styrofoam uh, targets worked because guys were shooting and then it was changing mid shot for what target they had to shoot at so having this is one of those ones where if you just go old the reliable way of doing it it's uh if it's not broke don't if it ain't broke don't fix it and then in the actual game the Atlantic division lost to the central division 8 to 5 and the metro division beat the pacific division 6-5 so it was metro and central in the final and the metro won 5 to 3 with with um, Claude Giroux being named MVP and the team split the one million dollar prize. It was um, yeah, it was funny because with like a million dollar prize to those guys, it's a hundred grand each. It's kind of worth playing for, but you got a lot of situations where guys aren't really trying. I think it's definitely an event where it's better to be be there compared to just watching it on TV like it can kind of get a bit dull i think one thing that the nhl should definitely do is be m- more focused on miking up some of the players cuz you listen on to on spit and chicklets and different things that they do a lot of these guys do have pretty good personalities it's just when in a professional interview setting it doesn't come out at all. Like, for example, when uh, when Zegris was going up and he gets to center ice, he's about to do something a sick move, like really cool moment, and then one of the uh, reporters goes and starts interviewing him, like before the shot. And I was like, just let the cool thing happen. And then he's like, he goes instead. He goes up to Zegris and he's just like. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to go do this shot or like it you have to it's almost like they have a cool idea and then the uncool grandpa comes over and kind of dims the mood. And uh yeah, so that was pretty much it for the All-Star game. It was a pretty good a pretty good event, especially being in Vegas. I think being places where players actually want to go instead of having it they had it in St. Louis and a lot of the guys it was pretty clear that they didn't want to be there like it's either they do that or they're on a beach somewhere vacationing for a week and they're week off in the middle of the season I know uh Sidney Crosby often doesn't doesn't go because he'd rather have the relaxation than and he's trying to win a Stanley cup. So it's better to have a little bit of a break and, um, it's better to have a break in the middle of the season than to go and 
do a bunch of boring interviews at the All-Star game. So now we're going to go to the women's Olympic hockey. It began last Wednesday on February 2nd. And the so Team Canada played Switzerland, beat them 12-1, and just dominated them the whole game. Within the first minute, Sarah Fillier, she's a rookie. She's I think she's only 21 or 22. And she scored, and the Swiss, they didn't score until it was, I think, I think it was nine, nine to nothing before they scored a goal. So Canada, obviously this tournament is very much just Canada and the U.S. All the other countries are still building their women's hockey programs, I guess. But yeah, because then the second game, Canada plays Finland, who, I always thought that Finland was kind of third behind Canada and the U.S., and then Canada blows them out 11-1. to And in the third game, Canada played Russian Olympic Committee, and a situation kind of occurred where the game got pushed back because, I guess, the Russian team didn't have all of their tests in for COVID. So Canada... Or both teams ended up playing with uh, masks on, but despite this, Canada still won six to one. And then on Monday, in the last preliminary preliminary game, Canada played the U.S., where they won four two. It was a fifty, I think there were fifty two saves by the Canadian goalie, and it put Canada on top for the A or Group A, and. Also, that that's just a big game because for them, Canada and the U.S. are probably going to meet in the gold medal game. So to get an upper hand in the first the first matchup is always good. One interesting note is that uh, Brianna Decker on Team USA is out for the tournament, and I know that Melody Dau on Canada got injured in the first game against Switzerland. And I'm not entirely sure, but I know that she was out for at least a couple games. So I don't know where they stand for the rest of the tournament. But on Friday, Canada will be playing Sweden in the quarterfinal game. And really, the women's team for Canada won't have any issues until the U.S. in likely the gold medal game, so... Yeah, we'll probably probably next podcast we'll visit visit either the result. I don't know when the gold medal game for the women are is happening, but we'll either be previewing the gold medal game or talking about how Canada beat the states. Hopefully, and then the men's team is interesting because obviously no NHLer is going to the Olympics this year. And so it's, once again, a mixture of young prospects who you have probably heard of who have just been drafted recently and guys who you remember from maybe playing a few games for your team and they're now in the KHL or playing in Germany or some random league. And, uh, yeah, so Canada... 
the men's team hasn't played yet. They're going to be playing tomorrow morning at 8. So, going through their team, they have a few notable names. Specifically in net, they have Devin Levi, who has been tearing it up for Northeastern this year. And I believe he has a 941 save percentage for Northeastern. He, If you remember the name, he was Team Canada's goalie in the World Juniors in 20... It might have even been last year. Yeah, maybe 2021, where Canada lost in the sil- or in the gold medal game against the States. On defense, a couple notable names. Uh, Jason Demers had a pretty long NHL career, played for most recently for the Coyotes, I believe. And Owen Power, obviously the first overall pick in the 2021 NHL draft for Buffalo. Power had a really good start to the World Juniors before they were canceled, and he's a he's not a guy that he's not one of those young guys that's going to get pushed around. He's six foot six, two hundred fourteen pounds, and he's been tearing up the NCAA this year for Michigan. And I think he really could be a leader on this team in skill because. He probably has the most skill out of any of the defensemen on this on this squad. For the forwards, some notable names are David DeHarnay. He had a pretty long and important stint with the uh, Montreal Canadiens for a while when they were going to the playoffs every year. There's Josh Hosang, who he is currently playing for the Toronto Marlies, but he's allowed to play in this tournament because he's on an AHL contract he's not on an NHL contract with any team so he I'd look for him to be one of those guys that goes into the tournament and then signs an NHL contract out of it he'll probably be a star for Team Canada in this event Corbin Knight is probably the best Canadian in the KHL right now he is 31 and yeah, I th- I think he's the leading he's leading all Canadians in the KHL in scoring. He's got a, about a point per game. A really uh, a guy that we really saw in the World Juniors for the first couple of games was Mason McTavish. He was dominating that tournament. He's already played nine games in the NHL. Right now he's playing for the Hamilton Bulldogs in the OHL. And so he will be probably, an, again, one of the more skilled players because a lot of these guys are guys that couldn't make the NHL. He's not in the NHL strictly because of contract re- reasons. If he was in the NHL, if he played past his nine games they played, it would burn a year off of his entry-level contract. So he's only in the OHL because the Ducks don't need him right now. And then I think the... There's also Daniel Winnick. He played for the Leafs and the Capitals for a while. He's currently playing in Switzerland. And then, obviously, the biggest name is Eric Stahl. He's the captain of Team Canada. And he captain obviously captained the Carolina Hurricanes for a while. He played. He went to the Stanley Cup Finals with Montreal last year. But he never didn't see a contract coming out of last year. And since then, he 
hasn't played, and then he played four games in preparation for the tournament in the AHL with the Iowa Wild, where he put up four or five points in four games. And I think even if he's not necessarily the most the best player anymore, he's probably slowed down a little bit. I think his leadership, he was on the 2010 team that won gold when NHLers were actually allowed to play in it. So he should bring a lot of experience with international play. And even a guy like uh, Mason McTavish could learn a lot just from being around a guy like Eric Stahl. Now moving on to the midseason NHL awards. I've gone through a lot of, I've done a lot of research to try and go through what these players have done so far this season and made my decisions on about, I think about 10 of the NHL awards who I think, it's more so who I think will win them by the end of the season. It's kind of more of a prediction, but I guess we'll get right to it for the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year. My two runner-ups, runners-up, no, runner-ups, um, are Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond, a couple of guys who definitely dominated for and carried the Detroit Red Wings so far this season. But I think the guys that will, the guys, the guy that will eventually take home the Calder Trophy will be Trevor Zegers. I just think a lot of people will disagree with me. He's not, he doesn't have the most points, but I think he's the, the more, the more pretty pick, basically. He had that goal with Sonny Milano where he flipped the puck over the net. And if, and I, I just think that most voters will go towards a guy who will grow the game more. Lucas Raymond, not a super huge market marketable guy outside of Detroit and Moritz Sider like a defenseman he puts up points he's a big body he's probably a better player but I think they'll go with the prettier pick a Selkie trophy the Frank J Selkie trophy for best defensive forward I'm the two runner ups are Patrice Bergeron who is nominated every year it seems and Jonathan Huberdeau and then my winner is actually Austin Matthews. A lot of people probably look at that and think Matthews is strictly offense. But in reality, he's one of the better defensive forwards in the game right now. Coming in, a lot of people thought that he would be more more offensive. And his shot kind of came as a surprise to most people. But yeah, even as argue, I'd say the best goal scorer currently in the league. He's also one of the best defensive players in the league. For the Lady Bing Trophy for most gentlemanly player, my two nominees that didn't win are Jack Hughes and Ryan O'Reilly. I know Ryan O'Reilly is pretty, it's pretty common for him to be up for this award and Jack Hughes does not take a lot of penalties and has had a real breakout season. The winner is Kyle Connor because he has only had two two penalty minutes this entire season, 43 games, 
And on top of that, has also put up 47 points in 43 games, 25 goals. So he's really carried a lot of the offensive production for the Winnipeg Jets without having to do anything to get himself a penalty. And then the next award is the Art Ross Trophy winner. This is who I think will will win it is Connor McDavid. He has 60 points right now in 42 games. Right now he's four points behind Jonathan Huberto, who leads the league. And he has five games less. So at the current pace, he should have around 66, 67 points by the time he hits 47 games like Huberto's at. The other guys who will probably be in contention are... Um, McDavid's teammate Leon Dreisaitl where he's right now in second in the league and Jonathan Huberto who's leading the league has had a surprisingly I, I don't know if it's surprisingly but he's usually a guy who you know he's really good but he's been really underrated this year he's put up 47 points he's one of the best passers in the league and most people don't consider him in that upper upper echelon with guys like McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, McKinnon, Crosby, right? Then the next award is James Norris for most, or for best defenseman. And this award, the two nominees, other nominees, are Aaron Ekblad and last year's winner Adam Fox. I think that it's pretty clear that this year it's going to go to Kale McCarr. He's had a couple of highlight real goals, and he's putting up some of the best goal and point numbers that we've seen from a defenseman in a long time without really sacrificing too much or defensively. He's not like a, a Tyson Berry where he puts up a ton of points, but then he's kind of a liability in his own end. But yeah, McCarr's the full package with, and he's arguably, he could be up there with. Matthews and McKinnon or McDavid McKinnon even though most people only will look at top forwards top centers when they think of best player I think it's time that Kale McCarr kind of moves up into that kind of stratosphere and the Jack Adams for best coach my two nominees that lost are Gerard Gallant of the New York Rangers and John Hines of the Nashville Predators. I think this award typically goes to the I can't believe that you're good. And that's kind of where John Hines gets it. And same with Gerard Gallant. But I think Gerard Gallant's situation, he's a great coach obviously, but it's one of those situations where a good goalie creates a good coach. And Igor Shesterkin is having a great season this year. But my winner is Mike Sullivan, the coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, my favorite team. I think what Sullivan has been able to do where he had one game against the Leafs where they won 7-1. to And their top line center was Evan Rodriguez, who at the time wasn't known to be some amazing player. And all of a sudden this year, he's turned into an amazing player. I think the kind of the culture that he's created in Pittsburgh has made it so 
anybody who goes there becomes at least a good player. Like, Evan Rodriguez, if you were to put him as the first-line center on a night, the team's fine. So when they have injuries with Crosby and Malkin, it's the team doesn't really miss a beat. And the next award is the Maurice Richard Trophy for most goals. Right now, Chris Kreider has the most goals with 33, but he's also played a lot of games compared to guys like Dreisaitl, and he's played the same amount as Ovechkin. Ovechkin's sort of slowed down a little bit more recently, but at one point he was leading the league by a lot. So I think the guy that will win this award is Austin Matthews. He has 31 goals in 40 games uh, this season, So and he's only getting closer and closer to a goal-a-game pace because he... He's put up multi-goal games. I've watched a lot of the Leafs more recently, and he has put up multi-point or multi-goal game, multi a lot of point games in his last six, six or seven games. So he's very quickly put himself in a situation where he could win the Maurice Richard pretty, pretty easily. I'd say I, I wouldn't go against saying that he'll have 60 to 65 goals this year. And then the Ted Lindsay Award for Most Outstanding Player according to the NHL Players Association. So this is the one where the other players will vote for who they think is the best player in the league. And the two nominees are Austin Matthews and Alex Ovechkin. And I think the winner will be Connor McDavid. Because this is, I find the Hart Trophy, it often, it won't go to a guy who's already won it a whole bunch. But the Ted Lindsay, it's just whoever the players think is the best. And Connor McDavid is pretty clearly the most dangerous player with his speed and the way that he can. There's lots of players, like Michael Grabner was this way, where he's one of the fastest players in the league, but his hands can't keep up with his feet. And Connor McDavid's hands are... Are, they might be faster than his feet, and he's one of the fastest players in the league. So I think a lot of players will take that into account when voting, and I think he'll take home the Ted Lindsay. And the second last award is the Vesna Trophy for best goalie. There's actually quite a few goalies who I would consider this year. It's actually surprising because usually a lot of these guys specifically don't have great seasons. Tristan Jari is one of the nominees and he has he's been great this year after a pretty sad playoffs last year and then guys like Jack Campbell and Frederick Anderson Campbell's coming off of a good season but Anderson came off of a season where he was injured for most of the year and just didn't play well when he was healthy and he's come back with the Hurricanes and has really, you could you could debate that he has, he's the reason that they're on top of the league right now. And then my other nominee is UC Saros, but right now you can't, you can't say that anybody else will win it besides going with 
Igor Shesterkin, who, looking at the Rangers roster, I don't think that they're in nearly the position that they are without Shesterkin. He has a 937 save percentage. The only guys that even slightly compare to him are all backup goalies or guys who have played a game and won. And like the closest guy behind him, he has a 937, and the next starter behind him is UC Saros, who has a 927, so a full hundredth below for the save percentage. It's just incredible because Shesterkin, he he was kind of not that he was falling off the map, but he came into the K or came out of the KHL with such promise and. Everybody was thinking that he was going to be the next great goalie, and then he stumbled kind of. He was just an average goalie for the Rangers' first season or season and a half. And yeah, he's really come on this season with just an unworldly save percentage. Like most guys, you'd look at that and said that it can't last, but it's lasted already for 30 games, so there's no. Nothing saying that he shouldn't. And then the last award is the Hart Trophy. It's the nominees are Mc- Connor McDavid, Jonathan Huberto, who leads the league in points right now, and my winner is Austin Matthews. I think most people, they look, Matthews right now, he's eighth in the league in goals, but the way I'm looking at it is really his trajectory. Right now, he's on one of the hottest streaks. He'd, he's been consistent this whole season, and he's just turned it up a level. So if he can stay consistent, it's been now six or seven games in a row where he's dominated alongside Mitch Marner. And I think that he... I think that by the end of the season, even though a lot of Toronto reporters don't vote for the Leafs because for awards because they don't want to come off as biased. I think Matthews will end up being the shoe-in winner for this award. Now it's time for the last segment of this podcast, Hockey Hot Takes. And so this comes from, I did a poll or a question and answer on my story on my Instagram account. And I've gone through and I'm keeping... A whole bunch of these hot takes that people have. I'm going to go through them and say whether or not I agree. Kind of talk about what what this person might be thinking when they're saying that. And why I either agree or disagree. The first one is saying that Marc-Andre Fleury is incredibly overrated. And has been carried by stacked teams in front of him his entire career. I can see where this person's coming from because Crosby or McFlurry has had has had so many stacked teams, but I think he's part of it. Like the Penguins, they probably don't win the cup without Flurry in two thousand nine. And he had a lot of seasons where he was up and down, probably led it was probably his fault a couple of times where the Penguins didn't win the cup. But in twenty seventeen when Murray went down the first two rounds. Flurry kept them in that playoffs. He had a 924 save percentage through 15 games in that playoffs series or those playoffs. And I was personally surprised when the Penguins went back to Murray in the third round after Flurry had dominated for so long. 
And then he goes to Vegas, where he dominates again, leading an expansion team to the to the finals in his first season. And he's never been a super consistent goalie, but I think it's not so much that he's overrated. I think it's that with he needs a strong defense in front of him because he's not just a positional goalie who stays in in the front like he needs to when he's moving he's one of the most skilled goalies he's similar to a Dominic Hasek where I don't think it works when he doesn't have a good team in front of him because then he really gets wild he can make the amazing save he can play positionally but if he needs to make the amazing save a ton he starts getting out position but when he's got a decent defense in front of him he makes the amazing save twice a game because that's all he needs to make and that's why with Vegas last year he won the Vezina trophy he had a 928 save percentage a lot of people said that it should have gone to Andre Vasilevsky but a lot of people were saying that um it's kind of like a lifetime achievement award because he had never won a Vezina trophy before but I think he was he had a less than a two goals against average last year for Vegas and led them pretty far in the playoffs he had 16 games with a 918 save percentage and I think Vegas made a pretty big mistake just giving him away to Chicago for free. Because a lot of people looking at it, 908 save percentage, not great with Chicago, but with a different team, you get a different goalie. The next hot take is that Sidney Crosby should win the Selkie. He's not getting the recognition for his defense because he's too good on offense. I think this is dead on. Everybody always says when whenever you bring up who's the most complete player in the NHL, they say Sidney Crosby is the most complete player in the NHL. And it's either him or Patrice Bergeron. But for some reason, they only ever consider Bergeron for the Selkie. You bring up that Crosby should win it, and everybody kind of scoffs at you because he wasn't good defensively when he was younger. Like There's so many stereotypes with Crosby that people hold on to from when he was in his early 20s he's almost 35 now and he like people say oh he's a baby he's a whiner oh he stopped doing that when he was 20 23 and oh he doesn't play good defense he's all about the offense well at some at one point he did become one of the best faceoff men in the NHL and one of the best at stripping the puck from guys he plays defense both in his own zone really well, and he doesn't let other teams out of their own zone. So I think he should definitely be considered for the the Selkie Trophy. I don't think maybe this year specifically, but I think the last couple of years he should have had a lot more consideration. And the last hockey hot take of this episode is that the NHL should get rid of the point for losing in overtime and the shootout. So just going to basically what the NFL has where you win, you win, and if you lose, you lose. I think the NBA also has this where guy or teams will won't get points anymore. It it it's kind of like a pity point. 
But what I noticed when looking at the standings and seeing if if it would make that much of a difference, in reality, what I noticed was that most teams that are getting a crazy amount of points from losing in overtime are getting... Or it really wouldn't change much in the standings. Like, maybe... I, I think it would change that... Uh, Ottawa would be, oh, well, now Ottawa's doing better than Buffalo, but yeah, it wouldn't change much except for the lower teams that lose a lot in overtime because they are able to kind of bore their way through for 60 minutes and then can't keep it up in the shootout or overtime. Yeah, so I don't think it would change much, but I think it would create more division between the best teams and the worst teams and people argue that the NHL should have a ton of parity and every team should be close but there's something about having good teams that creates a better league like I don't think that the NBA wishes that the Golden State Warriors had a lot less points and that the Sacramento Kings had a lot more points. Like, it grew the game, the fact that one team dominated for that long. Even though it became boring by the end, but now it's different. Like, it lasted for three years and it grew the game more than more than anything. And I don't think that it's kind of a false number. Because then what you have, if the overtime loss was to make a difference. You have teams that aren't as good, lost maybe 10 times in overtime, getting in because they took it to overtime and lost. And it would also create a lot more energy at the end of games that are tied, where teams, say Florida's playing Minnesota, if they're tied with five minutes left, they're just going to kind of let it go to overtime because their points don't even matter against each other. So just as long as they each get a point, then the last five minutes of a game should be the most exciting, but it's not. So I want to thank you guys for listening. It has been a little bit longer than I expected. I thought it was going to be around a 30 minute podcast, but I think I'll try and keep them around 30 minutes to 40 minutes. I'll have a lot more different segments so i hope it keeps it fresh every month or every week and i hope also to be able to put these out every week maybe it'll probably be around fridays or saturdays or wednesdays but anyways thanks for listening and hopefully that you'll you guys will consider returning next week when my next episode comes out thanks